Today is Trinity Sunday, and as many commentators point out, during the first half of the church year, from the first Sunday of Advent through Pentecost, we read about the mighty acts of God by which we were saved. Then in the second half of the year, the season of Pentecost itself, we read and are exhorted in the way that God would like us to react in response to God's great and saving deeds. That we are to follow the Spirit of God, to live a life filled with justice and peacemaking, a life filled with love and sharing, a life filled with joy and hope. The transition Sunday between those two halves of the church year is Trinity Sunday. The Sunday that most commentators say is not on one of the mighty acts of God, but on a human doctrine. This is the Sunday that if any rector has an assistant or an associate, they always preach. Because rectors don't want to preach on the Trinity. I've actually had a quite different attitude towards this, preferring not to meander into the musings of the theologians but to use this Sunday as an occasion to talk about God in God's self. Who is God and how does God relate to God's self and God's creation? It seems to me that we become who we love. And so if we love God and know God, it is a very important thing to talk about how God is and who God is. So today I want to preach a different kind of a sermon than I normally preach. And I'm glad it's cool because I'm going to start musing on a couple of ideas about God and how God relates to God's creation. And I assure you, when I start musing, I don't do it quickly. Today's first lesson is the familiar creation story from the beginning of Genesis. And I want to start what I'm going to say today by talking about creation, but not in its normal poetic and mythical way, but as science would talk about creation. Maybe some of you read an article published about a year ago, an article that I have been yearning to preach on, an article that came out of the experiments of the Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory near Chicago. 
This lab is one of those super colliders where they take proteins, proteins, protons, proteins later, where they take protons, speed them up to close the speed of light, and then smash them into each other in an attempt to reproduce the conditions that existed immediately following the Big Bang out of which our universe and everything else that exists was created. And this is what I find interesting. Apparently by the rules of normal particle physics, that Big Bang should have caused the creation of an equal amount of matter, that's protons, neutrons, electrons, and other subatomic particles, and in an equal amount, their evil cousins, antimatter, that is, antiprotons, antineutrons, antielectrons, and other anti-subatomic particles. And, you guessed it, if that had happened, poof, all that antimatter would have caused the destruction of all that matter, and therefore no universe or anything else. But as we know from the last time we stubbed our toe or looked in the mirror, there is a lot of stuff out there, real stuff, bump into hurt yourself stuff. The problem is that prior to some of these recent discoveries, the physicists could not explain why or how all this stuff exists. So what do they think they've now discovered? They discovered that some particles called neutral B messions that are famous for being fickle, that is, they oscillate back and forth from being matter to being antimatter several trillion times a second. As it happens, these neutral B mesons created in the proton-antiproton collisions seem to go from their antimatter state to their matter state more rapidly than they go the other way around, leading to an eventual preponderance of matter over antimatter of about 1%. When these decay to muons, sort of fat electrons, and that may be just enough of an anomaly for everything, including you and me, to exist. Or as one of the scientists, Joe Lichen, a theorist at the Fermi Lab said, so I would not say that this announcement is equivalent to seeing the face of God, but it might just turn out to be the toe of God.
All of which sounds to me, in that mind of mine which tends to connect everything to everything else, like the wisdom spoken of in the book of Proverbs, there at the beginning of creation, creating boundaries so that the things can exist and be life-giving and not just chaos, which can be pretty empty and destructive and damaging to life. Instead, we have love, which enables things to be and enables them to be beautiful. Thank you, God, for that gentle touch that made all the difference. The God we have, as it turns out, is about life, order, and beauty. Alleluia. My second story this morning is not so much about physics as about a physicist, Albert Einstein. At one point, Einstein wrote in one of his many journals that the major turning point in his life took place when he was about four years old and someone gave him a compass for his birthday. Up until that moment, he wrote, he thought things only moved from one place to another when something touched or pushed them, a human hand, the wind, a horse, a truck, whatever. But whatever moved the needle on that compass was some invisible force, a force he could not see or feel. And that got Einstein to wondering what other invisible forces there are and how do they work. And all of that thinking, as most of you know, led to some very important theories, including some of those about particle physics mentioned in my first story. Now, why is that important, you ask? Well, we are just leaving an age dominated by the Enlightenment and a kind of materialism which, among other things, acted as if the only things that count are the things that are real, things you can touch and stub your toe on and prove and scientifically know are real. As difficult as this present age is, the age we are beginning to live into in a stumbling and confusing way, this new emerging age seems to know that invisible forces like the ones Einstein pointed to can be very important. But they're not the only invisible forces that are important. There is also love and hate, hope and possibility, 
like God and other invisible things, these point to meaning, love, and beauty and can make a real difference if we want to live a meaningful life. I believe to some large degree this is why more and more people say these days that they are spiritual. I know they also say that they're not religious. But having more people being spiritual is a wonderful place to start. Now, I remember attending a clergy conference in the early 70s where a theologian told us about this new physics, subatomic, Einstein, Heisenberg type physics. And he said it would take about 50 years for this physics to begin to reshape the way humans understand life. It would take 50 years to change human consciousness. But that once human consciousness was reshaped, it would be more possible for people to believe in God, the importance of spirituality, and a mysterious mythological understanding of life. We now live in that time and the beginning of that age. And that is why questions of meaning and spirituality are so important to folks. They're important in a way we are more comfortable knowing that we don't have all the answers. Because when you don't have all the answers, you have room for mystery and for God. Now my final musing this morning is about life, life itself. As I understand it, scientists now know what conditions are necessary for the creation of life, necessary for life to exist. Conditions need to be such that proteins, I told you I would get to the proteins, Conditions need to be such that proteins can be brought into being. To create proteins, as I understand it, strings of amino acids, enzymes that act together in a particular way, need to be present. And the condition needs to exist that those proteins can fold over upon themselves and join together in the helixes, double helixes. From what I have heard and read, scientists now are searching the universe for other places aside from the Earth where these conditions might be present. Much of, the, of this, of course, is not new. But what I had not heard or read about until recently is that the probability for these conditions that enable life to exist, that are necessary for life to occur, are infinitesimally small. 
The possibilities are so small and improbable that some scientists, that's right, scientists, are beginning to refer to the existence of life as a miracle. A miracle. Huh. I also read recently that all the water on the earth, or at least virtually all of it, most probably came from one comet that struck the earth and then had its ice tail melt into what eventually formed our streams, rivers, and oceans. That the water we have on earth was not created here, but came from the heavens. A gift, as it were, from heaven. That means that the water we're going to pour into the communion chalice in a few moments is pretty much the same water that came out of that rock when the people in the desert were thirsty and Moses took his staff and hit the rock and the water came out. That all water is a gift from above. Dare I say, a gift from God? And of course, life could not exist without that water. Now, as I was thinking about this last week, I looked out the window of the rectory and saw the beauty of the trees covered with their new spring leaves shimmering in the breeze. The beauty of it, the wonder of it, the serenade of the birds singing in those trees literally brought me to tears. It's all a miracle and a gift, and so much of it, oh, so beautiful. So today we think about God, how God relates to creation, how God relates to us, how God relates to God's self. The wisdom of God that overcomes chaos, death, and nothingness. The way God acts subtly and invisibly to bring life and vitality out of nothing, nothingness and death, to bring hope and possibility out of despair. How God's ever-emanating love creates, brings together, and connects things in a way that is beauty and love and meaning. It's a wonder, isn't it? And I am glad we set aside a Sunday each year to remember and be reminded of who God is and how God is and how that blesses us over and over again. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.